There are many issues that plague youth. The church acts as a safe haven. It provides a place where youth can come together to hear the Word of God. Upper Room Media presents to you this Youth Talk, delivered from Sydney, Australia. Us in the Coptic Church who really love Archangel Michael. 
لكن جمايكا واز ا بيج ديل ابونا فانوس ابونا فانوس يوست اكشلي ديسكرايب اند سي ذات ارتينجو مايكل وان اوف هيز وينجز از ا ستال از ذا مناره اوف ذا مونستري وان اوف هيز وينجز اي نو سم وان هو جاد هاز جرانتد ذس بيرسون ذا جيفت اوف بيينج ايبل تو سي the reality of what happens in the liturgy and he says the most terrifying thing that happens in the liturgy is the angel of the sacrifice the angel of the sacrifice we imagine little creatures like for some reason we start depicting angels as like infants and diapers with wings i never understood how this happened right like somehow angels became like it's it's really weird when you think about it right or asexual beings that are just like sexually ambiguous you're not really sure like what and you don't know they wear robes do they really have wings whatever right but we really 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 respect archangel michael but archangel michael has got nothing on you archangel michael is not his son archangel michael is a servant you're not called servant you're called son and daughter When you stand anywhere and you say our father you're elevated immediately into the presence of your heavenly father you're brought immediately into his presence you enter into that palace recognize where you are bring your heart to that place don't allow your eyes to dictate where you are abuna i feel like i'm talking to the wall that's in my room maybe get rid of the shackles of the senses and allow your heart to be able to dictate where you actually are open your heart to the possibility that you're going to enter into a reality that is spiritual not simply material don't only acknowledge where you are but also acknowledge the promises that he makes you listen to what saint john says he says for your father who sees in secret shall reward you openly that's what he says the lord says himself in matthew chapter 6 says he did not merely say that he would give it to you but would reward you as if he himself had made a pledge to you and so honored you with great honor because God himself is hidden your prayers should be hidden there is something secret there there is something beautiful and intimate about it why would you want to reveal it publicly one of the greatest and most shameful things that our generation has done is that we have commercialized the intimacy of sex we have exploited human beings at the expense of making it so public and so accessible that now we have professionals who are leaving their jobs to open only fans channels we have people who think to themselves why would i work hard and actually gain for myself an education if all i have to do is just expose what is intimate about me and we think we're not harming anyone when we consume all of this garbage here saint john is rewarding you and me but that when there's something that is intimate and hidden that's something sacred that you should protect this relationship that you are called to have with christ is something that is supposed to be intimate something that's only between you and him and so he says go and do it in the secret place where only the both of you encounter each other yes there is a time for you to appear publicly with others but there must be moments of intimacy There must be a moment of hiddenness and your prayer should be hidden because your God is also waiting for you in that in that hiding place. It's beautiful because 
one of the things that the church does to try to remind you and me about our prayers is it uses incense. And you'll notice that incense is the only sacrifice we kept from the Old Testament. All other sacrifices from the Old Testament were abolished. Incense is the only one that was kept. Because the offering of incense has always been understood as an indication of how it is that even our prayers are raised up to God. When we offer incense, you'll notice this. Every time Abuna puts a spoonful of incense, he's asking something from God. Lord, remember the sick. Remember the travelers. There's people who died and departed. Remember them. We're going to say all their names. The oblations. Anytime we are asking God, what are we doing? We place incense. Because the incense that rises from the censer is a reminder to you and me of how it is that your prayers, as soon as they are spoken, they become an offering that are elevated to God. And there is nothing more beautiful than walking into a church where you see the incense just linger here. I was speaking to, this was several years ago, we have this wonderful, wonderful woman in Ottawa, Canadian woman who, she grew up in the Catholic Church and then she had fallen out of the church and she was so tired of a lot of things and then finally she said, you know what, I'm shopping for a new church. So she went to a whole bunch of different churches and a part of me, part of me felt like I really want her to go to this church because this church is going to welcome her and like I was really afraid that like the culture of the church where I served was going to like strangle out of her this idea of like there isn't that much hospitality to those who are like from foreigners and they are not like us and the culture is really loud and this and that. I'm like man, like, I was afraid that it would be too much for her to handle, right? Then she came up to me several months later, and she taught me a lesson that I'll never, ever forget. She goes, this is definitely going to be my home. And a part of me was surprised, so I'm like, really? <laughs> She's like, yeah, absolutely. I go, why? She goes, because this is the only place that involves all of my senses. I said, what do you mean? She goes, the moment I walked into your church, immediately I was hit with this burst of this incredibly sweet smell of incense immediately it captured me. And I walk into your church and I look around and the beauty of everything around me captured my eyes. The gold that's on the iconography, the iconstasis itself, the apparel that you wear, Abuna, all of these things, it was so pleasing to the eyes. The fact that I could walk to the back of the church and I can place my hand on an icon and use physical touch to be able to touch the relics and the icons to light a candle, you involved me in that way. And your hymnology is beautiful. At the church that I went to, we weren't allowed to sing. The congregation was told to be quiet, and only the six or seven people who were in the choir were allowed to sing. I don't know what I'm singing, and I don't understand all of your tunes, but it's nice to jump in and to simply involve the fact that I can also speak. And she goes, and I'm just looking forward to the day that you baptize me, so then I can involve my taste. She taught me a huge lesson. And the lesson that she had taught me was that when the church does anything, it's to involve everything about you in prayer. You can do this in your own private prayers. You can decide to realize that the senses can be involved, but they're all supposed to lead to Him. So if you have been led to Him, don't depend on them. It's nice when they're involved. But you don't have to be dependent on them. 
Speaking of raising of incense, there's this beautiful passage in the book of Tobit from the Deutsche Canonical Books that talks about how it is that Archangel Raphael, when he is speaking to Tobit, he reminds him of how it is that he himself, as his guardian angel, took his prayers and elevated them and presented them to God. He says, so now when you and Sarah prayed, it was I who brought and read the record of your prayer before the glory of the Lord. And yet we sit there and act as if somehow we feel like our prayers are not heard. We sometimes even accuse God of being absent. How is that possible? How is that possible that you can believe that your God is not present? Think about this. In the third hour prayer, what is the response that we say in the Agbeya towards the Holy Spirit? O heavenly King, the Comforter, who is? Who is present everywhere and fills all. So you believe that God is present everywhere and fills all. And yet, I'm willing to point the finger at Him and say what? He's abandoned me. He's not here. He's absent. Habibi, don't make the mistake of thinking that God's absence, sorry, that God's silence equates to His absence. God can very much be present. And He can choose to be silent. But don't mistake the silence for absence. Your prayers are heard. And your prayers are presented to Him. And He is very much present. Because the moment you decide to accept the defeat of He is not present, then what would propel you to want to continue in being consistent? Your intentions in prayer matter. It's not just about what you say. It's about why. And the why here is so important to the building of relationship. What does St. John says? He says, while pretending to pray to God, the hypocrites are looking around for human praise. This one is a really important one because this one bothers me a lot. We have a lot of this. We have a lot of this. And I'm going to make fun of a lot of people in just a second, but let's finish St. John first. While pretending to pray to God, the hypocrites are looking around for human praise. One who is earnestly offering a supplication looks exclusively to the one who has the power to grant the request and lets all other claims recede. But if you leave behind the one you are petitioning and you immediately go wandering about looking everywhere for others' approval, you will depart with empty hands. You will come out with nothing. It will be worthless. You will have gained nothing. So let me make fun of myself for just a second. As a deacon, we used to have this thing where especially on Lintanait, and specifically Christmas or Easter or Theophany, right? We all like prepare secretly at home the reading of the gospel because we don't know who Abuna is going to choose, okay? We had this thing where Abuna, after looking at the gospel, he'd walk out and he'd point at you and that's when you found out you're reading the gospel, right? And this is Lintanait, and this is a chance for you to bust out a long blessing, right? So, all of us would practice safely. And it was incredible to watch me and my friends be complete hypocrites. We'd stand there, and Abuna would walk out, and all of us don't want to make eye contact with Abuna. Yeah. Abuna walks out, and we just go like this. <laughs> and if Abuna goes, Fulain, immediately, what's your reaction? <laughs> so we had we had this one person this older gentleman older gentleman at our church who's now a monastic this man was incredible 
Incredible. He was, he was a school. In and of himself, he was a school. He once saw this happen. And then after the Eid, we had finished the liturgy, and it was me who read the gospel. So he comes up to me after the liturgy, and he goes, Habibi, the gospel today was beautiful. And I'm like, what? Right? right? It sounded amazing. It was beautiful. Like, thank you, Uncle. And he, I promise you, exactly like this, with a big smile on his face, he goes, What was the gospel passage about? <laughs> so I think I think I'm brilliant, right? I think I'm brilliant. And I'm like, Oh, it was about the birth of Jesus, because it's nativity. For any of the deacons who know this, the gospel passage that is read on the Feast of the Nativity has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. Okay? He doesn't correct me. He just looks at me with the most disappointed smile. And he goes, Habibi, next time you read it for him, don't read it for that. If I live out my life in prayer, <laughs> constantly wondering whether or not what I am praying is going to be received by others, then when am I actually going to be concerned about whether or not my prayer is received by Him? When am I going to make it exclusively about me and Him, and not about how people think my relationship with Him looks like? Imagine if your husband only treated you nicely in front of others. Imagine if your spouse only treated you nicely when her friends were over. But as soon as they were gone and there was no audience, you're treated like crap. <coughs> None of us would be okay with this. If the other person is more concerned about appearing to look like a good husband or a good wife, then that's a toxic relationship. There's something there that's abusive. Can we not point at people? Just come over. They're the worst people. I love what St. John says at the end of this passage. Listen to it again. He says, But if you leave behind the one you are petitioning and immediately go wandering about looking everywhere for others' approval, then you will depart with empty hands. You came to ask Him for strength. You came to ask Him for grace. You came so that you can offer Him blessing and praise. And while you're doing this, you're acting as if it's a photo op. Okay, take the picture. Take the picture. You know those people who take selfies of them giving money to the poor? Have you seen this? This is a thing. This is a thing. People are taking selfies of themselves while giving money to the poor. And then they post it as if like, hashtag blessed. What are you doing? What are you doing? If you are going to offer something to him, or if you're going to petition something from him, make sure your eye contact is with him. St. John asks you and me, what reward are you pursuing? What is actually your reward? He says the hypocrites, their reward comes from those from whom they themselves most desire to get it. God does not desire this. For God preferred to bestow upon humanity the grace that comes only from Himself. 
those who seek the reward from people cannot receive another reward from the one whom they have sought nothing. If I am only concerned in making sure that my prayers are perfectly acceptable and packaged beautifully, when I only present them communally, but nothing is petitioned or asked or offered privately, then I don't want him. I simply want to fit in. I want the praise of others. There's no difference between me and the hypocrites that Christ is calling out in Matthew chapter 6. All of this is supposed to propel you and me to recognize that what? There's got to be something that gives. We have to be willing to stand with Him alone. We have to be willing to want that one-on-one -on -one with Him, to be alone with Him. This secret place that the Lord is speaking about has to be this place where there's a little bit of discomfort. And I gotta tell you, for those of us who start off praying and we're not used to it, it's very uncomfortable to be alone. I'm not suggesting that it's easy. It's very uncomfortable. We don't like being alone with ourselves. The proof of that is what's the first thing you do when you're alone with yourself? You grab your phone. You grab your phone. Immediate distraction, immediate escape. I just wanna go numb. I don't want to be alone with myself. So many of us who struggle with anxiety, so many of us who put on a show for other people, once the day has ended, the one thing we look forward to the least is going to our bedroom. Because once the door closes, and you're sitting there on your bed by yourself, and you're lying down, and you're facing the ceiling, you're stuck, alone, with your thoughts. And many of us don't know how to manage that. Prayer brings all of this out. Because prayer is like a furnace. And the intention behind that furnace is to burn away all of this garbage. All of this noise that's inside us that we have to find a way to be able to eliminate. The purpose of the furnace is to get rid of all of the impurities. You guys understand the concept of how gold is purified? or how any metals are purified. They're put under extreme heat. And when they are put under extreme heat, the metals will melt. And naturally, any flaws or dirt that is contained within the metal will rise to the surface. Because of the heat and because it melted, only then can you remove the filth. And what do you have left? The purest form of that metal. Prayer is that fire where you have to allow for the discomfort. You have to be willing to almost embrace it, to push through it, to begin by telling God, I can only handle two minutes, but I want to give you these two minutes. And then after a little while to say, I think I can move on to five, Lord. And it's not easy and I'm uncomfortable and I don't want to be here, but I want to give you these five minutes. Those five minutes will turn to 10, and 10 will turn into 15, it will turn into half an hour, it will turn into much more. And eventually, you'll be giving 20, 30, 40 minutes all by yourself, and then as soon as you walk out of there, you're still talking to him. You're gonna find yourself in the Starbucks line, and you're still talking to him. You're gonna find yourself walking back from your parking spot, and you're talking to him. You're gonna find yourself <laughs> talking to other people, and your heart is still talking to him. But all of this comes from the fact that you first desire to be alone with Him. 
You first wanted to be in that secret place and you endured that suffering. I beg you, don't throw in the towel too quickly. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable it is, but get rid of this stupid device that you have in your hand. Throw it away. I know many of us like to use it to be able to read from it from the Bible or the Agbeya. Please don't do that. Like go on Amazon, spend 12 bucks and get yourself a Bible and an Agbeya. Don't have this thing in your hands. And don't stand in front of an alarm clock. I used to do this when I was younger. It used to drive me crazy. I'd stand up and I'd start praying. And I'd look at the alarm clock and I'm like, oh my goodness, all of that was only two minutes. <laughs> and it would drive me nuts because I'm like, okay, I want to talk me pray for 15 minutes, right? Forget 15 minutes. 15 seconds feels like I'm going to die. It feels like I'm going to die. I can't go further than that. Don't stand in front of a clock. Don't stand in front of anything that's going to distract you. Don't have your phone in your room. Don't check your notifications. Just be alone with him. And in the beginning, if you can only give a little, that's perfectly fine. Give the little that you have. Harvey, are you sure you want to speak? Okay. Do you think it's beneficial to like fully say the Jesus prayer or like just like give yourself a limit like every day and that's all you do? So I want you, once I'm done, I want you to ask me that question again, but ask me about the toolbox. Just remember that. Ask me about the toolbox, okay? This morning in the sermon, we talked about the secret place of where it is that the Lord encounters us, right? And we talked about the three holy youths. Where did he meet them? It was fire. in the furnace. It was in the fire. Not before. The belly of the beast when he came to Jonah, he didn't save him from being swallowed by the beast. And the lion's then, And even the empty garden. The empty garden where the Lord, in, like, I, I don't think people pick up on this, at some point in the Gospels, it talks about how it is that the Lord had reached such a level of anxiety that he sweat blood. That's an actual condition. That's something that can even happen to any of us today if we are put under extreme levels of stress and anxiety. He would sweat blood because he knew what was going to happen the next day. But he went to that secret place. He left behind his apostles despite the fact that he really wanted to be surrounded by them. And he went to that secret place by himself where he met with his good father. But this is where the encounter happens. It is not because that it's hard that you should give up. On the contrary, the fact that it's hard is proof that the devil doesn't want you to do it. The fact that it's hard and it's difficult and you don't feel like facing yourself alone is in and of itself the evidence that there is spiritual warfare. And why would he war against you? When it comes to something that is probably not even worth doing. No. He's going to prevent you from something that he knows will benefit you. You know what's the number one thing that most Christians don't do? Is pray. And it's really nice when I've given myself permission to think that, you know, like, I don't formally pray. But like, God's always on my mind. I have mama. <laughs> would, would any would any of you accept this as an answer from your spouses? Any of you? No, I know we don't talk. Like I know I know I know I don't like to sit with you and like discuss stuff. But like like, I, like you're always on my mind. That's ridiculous. How can you say that there is love between you and the other person if you don't desire? To be alone with them, and to communicate, and to share, and to be vulnerable. 
You're always on my mind? What is, food is always on my mind. What does that mean? It's ridiculous to speak in this way. Like at some point we're going to have to grow out of these ridiculous excuses and actually hear ourselves say what we're saying. And because I'm speaking to a more mature group, I'm allowing myself to make fun of it because we all struggle with it. So let's have a good laugh at how stupid we are. But now let's stop. Let's not accept it anymore as an excuse. If you seriously want a relationship with him, then go be alone with him. And those who are alone with him, and who keep it intimate, and who don't want to make it public, those are the ones who are giants. Look at this lineup. St. Anthony, long before he is recognized as the father of monasticism, long before he disciples an entire generation to become monastics, he spent well over 25 years by himself. 25 years in the eastern desert on the mountain by himself. 25 years. If I'm alone with myself for 25 minutes, I want to die. <laughs> 25 years of him embracing what it means to be intimate with his creator. And that's 25 years. Now imagine the one that we spoke about yesterday, St. Mary of Egypt, 47. Yo, I'm 41 years old. <laughs> I feel like I'm past my expiry date. This woman, 47 years of intimacy before another human being even knew she existed. Anthony, they knew. They tried to chase him down. He just wasn't accessible. Nobody knew she existed. No one. And she was perfectly happy with that. But the Lord, who wanted to do what? Reward her openly makes sure that because she chose to do it secretly, that he would turn her into an icon of hope to so many generations. He rewards her openly. And she is offered, she is offered a crown for the fact that she chose to do everything secretly when God desired to place her at the forefront. And then you have St. Mary, our Holy Virgin Mother, she says nothing in the Gospels. Nothing. We hear her speak maybe three times. She asks the angel, how can this be if I don't know a man? She goes to Christ and tells him, Joseph and I were worried sick for you. Where were you? And she says, you got to do something for them. They have no wine. And then we hear nothing. Nothing. And Luke says what? She pondered all of these things in her heart. She looked, she observed, it was always secret. It was always intimate. Now obviously, there's a mystery there, right? Because he's her savior, he's her lord, he's her creator, and he's her son. I'm never gonna understand it. We used to play this game called Would You Rather. We sit in a circle, we ask each other questions, right? So the Christian mo mode of this, right? <laughs> Would you like to really ask some really interesting questions, right? And some of the questions were like, if you can pick, if you can pick one biblical scene that you could be like a fly on the wall and witness it, what would it be, right? And one of the questions was, would you rather spend a day with your favorite saint or an hour with Mama, Mama Mary? Okay. 
There's absolutely no doubt. So give me an hour with this woman. I want to know what she saw. I want to know what she thought. I want to know what it is that she kept in her heart. Everything was so secret. You and I should be inspired by these holy men and women to be able to recognize that I also want to have something secret with him. I also want to have something intimate between me and him. I also want to make sure that there's a portion of the love that I have between him and I that is protected, that is just me and his. Remember that the encounter that you're supposed to have with Christ is one that's intimate. Again, in Song of Songs, chapter 5, when she hears the voice of her beloved at the door, the Shulamite cries out and says what? It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks saying, open for me my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Remember what it is that the Lord says in the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and I do what? I knock. And then he says two things. He who hears my voice and opens the door. Only then will I come in, he and my father, and we will set a table and dine. He who hears my voice and opens the door. Too many of us hear the voice. And we stop there. Jesus is at the door knocking, and we do this. Now! Nah! <laughs> we don't give up. We don't open. We don't let him in. Then why not? If he really is my beloved, then why am I not responding like the Shulamite who says it's the voice of my beloved? And why don't I respond to his invitation when he says, open for me? My sister, my love, my love, my perfect one. Three practical tips from St. John Chrysostom and then we'll end. How do you pray? He says, number one, pray in simplicity. And this goes back to your point. Pray in simplicity. Please don't overcomplicate things. And he says it really beautifully. He says, he did not ask us to compose a prayer. He did not ask us to compose a prayer of 10,000 phrases and so come to him and merely repeat it. He warned against those who think that they shall be heard for their eloquence. There's context to this, by the way. You have to understand when Jesus was speaking in this way in Matthew chapter 6, the people understood exactly what he was talking about. The Pharisees would go and stand at the corners of the streets and they would literally start praying vain, repetitious things that were completely irrational. They would make things up. They would act as if like they were speaking in a different language. This was a thing. They would stand at the corners and just like, right? And they're literally just standing there and they're throwing out whatever and they're doing it for hours nonstop, repetitively. And then they would say, oh, it's because I was overtaken by the Spirit. By the way, this is where, like, the Pentecostals get it even until today. The whole, like, the tongues thing, right? Where people speak in, like, a whole bunch of things and nobody understands that the Spirit overcame me. This is not just a New Testament thing. This existed among the Pharisees. He says, all of these things where you just repeat and you say absolute nonsense or you just take a single, like, a paragraph that you wrote and you think that by repeating it, you're going to chew my ear off and that that's how you're going to, like, bend my arm into getting me to give you what you want. You just pray in simplicity. You want to speak to him like a friend, speak to him like a friend. You want to tell him in all honesty that you don't want to be there. You think he doesn't know? I remember one Pascha, I had a, a bad knee injury, and it was it was really difficult to do Pascha. It was really difficult. Like forget Matanias. Standing and sitting was like excruciating. 
So I told my father confession, like, I, I can't pray. I can't focus my heart on prayer because of the pain. And there's like only so much painkillers that you could take before like, <laughs> before things go bad. Uh, so my father, confession, in all simplicity, what does he tell me? Tells me, offer it to him. Do we just lose the HTML? He goes, just offer it to him. He said, offer what? He goes, the pain. Offer it to him. Just tell him. The knee pain that I'm experiencing right now, because I chose to stand before you, this is my offer. John says what when it comes to prayer with faith? Now I lost my screen. Hold on. <laughs> okay. He says, For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Here he's quoting again chapter 6. He says, But if he already knows what we need, why do we pray? Good question, no? Why am I telling him what I need if I already believe that God already knows? What would you answer to that? Sorry? Do you think that's what it is, though? Do you think he's saying, I know what you need, but I'm not going to give it to you until you ask me? That could be it. It's really annoying, but that could be it. <laughs> right? Can I give you guys a really stupid example? Just please like, bear with me. I want you to imagine that I'm sitting in my living room. And Tina, Michael, and Maria, my kids and my wife, they're in the kitchen baking something together. Right? And I'm not too far away. And I'm sitting in the living room, and I hear them. I hear Tina telling Michael, okay, now go grab the eggs, and tells Maria, okay, put, put one cup of flour. And I hear Maria say, can we put chocolate chips? And she goes, okay, we can put chocolate chips. 
and I hear them do this and that, and I hear that like, okay, something fell on the ground, and Tina's like, it's okay, we'll pick it up, don't worry, whatever, whatever, and I hear all of this going on, right? And I want you to imagine that my daughter, once they're done, like the muffins are in the oven, she comes running into the living room. Daddy, 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 daddy. Right? You're never gonna guess what we're making. So as a good father, naturally, I should probably crush her spirits. Her, Sweetheart, don't waste my time. Daddy heard everything. I know you're making muffins. I know you put chocolate chips. And I know your brother dropped the eggs. Are we done? Goodbye. <laughs> Tell me, if I already know, but shouldn't that be my response to Maria so no time is wasted? What would be the more loving response? Right. Let her tell me. Let her tell me. Why? Because I need to know. Because maybe I missed something? Because I need to be informed? Why do I need to let Maria tell me? Precisely. Because she needs to speak it. Because she needs to feel like she can communicate it to me. It has nothing to do with the art of informing. And everything to do with how relationship and intimacy is actually built. And I will sit there as a father and tell her, what did you do, sweetie? Tell me. And sometimes I'll even poke some of these. Really? Look at Right? Because I want there to be this. I want her to feel excited about coming to me and telling me and informing me, even though I already know. So St. John says what? He says, but if he already knows, and he already knows what we need. And why do we pray? It's not to inform God or to instruct him, but to beseech him closely, to be made intimate with him by continuance and supplication, to be humbled, to be reminded of our requests from him. The last thing he says is pray persistently. Don't stop asking, he says. He says, but if you do not receive immediately, do not despair in this way. For it is because of this that Jesus said, knock, to show that even if he does not open the door immediately, we should remain at the door knocking. There is no reason why it is that you shouldn't keep going back to him, requesting the same thing over and over again. Isn't that what our children do? And they do it in complete simplicity. And they never give up on the idea of constantly asking their parents, go back to that stage. Go back to that stage where you can do all three of these things. Where you can pray in simplicity, where you can pray in faith, and where you can pray persistently. May the Lord grant you and me through prayer to be able to know Him and to know Him intimately and to be in relationship with Him. To Him be all glory now and forever, and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. Any questions about anything we've discussed? Yeah. Hardly ever get to. Um, so I think once. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.